Welcome to the podcast of Dr. Michael Jacobs. We believe today's message will help you walk in faith and have victory now. All right, we're going to get out some notes here. We're going to shift gears just a tad tonight. We're going to talk about angels. I know you're thrilled I'm going to teach about it. <laughs> Somebody asked me one time, you ever get tired of teaching about it? No, I don't. Why would I? I don't know everything myself yet, just to let you know what I'm thinking. I know some people act like they think I know everything, but that's not true. I don't. So, and it's a progression with me. I stay with things that work for me. Now, let me, let me do this as just an illustration. I'm not putting you down, but just listen to what I'm saying. If I were to interview you coming through the front door over here, and there's two questions I would ask you if I'm teaching on angels. Number one, do you believe in angels? Oh my gosh, yes, Dr. Jacobs, of course I do. Okay, question number two. When is the last time you spoke to an angel or said something to an angel? You didn't have to see him to say it. You know, they're in an unseen realm unless you have a gift like I have, and I didn't ask for it to begin with, so it's not like I was seeking it to see into the Spirit. And I don't see everything every day, too. Let me help you. But if I said to you, give me one example in your life where you realized that you said something to an angel to do for you and you saw it come to pass, I think most people are silent on the second one. So that tells me they really don't believe it. They agree with the Bible that there is beings called angels. But if you're not getting any fruit out of it, why fool with it? That's why I keep teaching it because we don't have it yet. I, I did an experiment, but I didn't tell anybody I was doing it because they would have been irritated. I don't try to irritate people, unless it's by accident. If I irritate you, that didn't bother me a bit. But if I was trying to irritate you, that would be bad. So what I'm saying is I went to a church. guy had me for the first time. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say it anyway. You said, you said it 10 times. Maybe you'll catch it next time. The first thing I would teach in a church, unless the pastor's got a problem, and some of them do, not your pastors, but some of them are just whacked. I, I would like to teach on deliverance, but since preachers turned me down for 25 years, I just said, phooey, I'll preach it if I can, but I'm not going to tear up their church about it if they don't agreement. Yeah. But the first thing I always preach nowadays, and the first time I ever go to a church, unless they have a reason they don't want me to preach it, is on angels. Because there's a great influx that's already come to the nations, not just America, but all around the world, recently help us in this new move of God. I don't know if you're in it or not. I'm in it. I don't know if you're foot deep or toe deep or knee deep or where you're at in it, but I'm moving with it. Amen. Amen. And the angels are a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So we just keep teaching it. Because, and so I went to this man's church and taught it. Nobody said diddly squat to me. You know what that means? It didn't say anything. They think, they, oh, that was great. Or I like that tonight. They didn't say thank you or goodbye or anything. So I thought, well, okay. So I went back two or three, four years later. I mean, two or three years in a row. Then I think maybe I skipped a year and then he had me back. And about the sixth time I was going back, the Lord said, don't tell them you're teaching something to them you've already taught. Just get up and act like you're teaching it for the first time. Don't say that because you'd be lying. But just act like I want to teach you something. Yeah. Taught the same scriptures, identical Identical notes, identical, uh, what do you call it, illustrations, examples that I have that I've preached all over the world. And you know, they acted like they, I, they'd never tasted that before. 
Man, I never heard that before in my entire life. I just smile and say, will you get something? They said, yeah. I said, well, good. Yeah. And I'd already taught them that once, but they say they listened, but they didn't hear me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they heard whatever sounds I was telling them, but they didn't lock in because they thought that's the first time they'd ever heard it. Yeah. That's what they told me. I'm not going to tell you who that is. That isn't any of your business. Or... Oh. Praise the Lord. I'm just talking to you here. I don't let all these notes make you feel freaked out. I'm just going to do what I need to do here to get going here in a second. I just had a lot of things to say tonight. Some, I have some testimonies here that are really interesting. Okay, first of all, let me see. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 1. Now, I didn't say that to make you feel funny about me or to make it sound like I was critical of that church because I'm not. I just tried an experiment one time and I realized sometimes I could have been teaching. Some people that know me well, they've been in meetings all over with me. You know, some of my sons and daughters, they come to hear me and I appreciate that. And some people said, you know, I've heard you teach that 10 times and Dale Tillett is a good example. He's been with me over 40 years. And he's told me in the last two years, you said that I've heard you tell about that vision at least 30 times and I never heard what you said tonight. I said, well, I didn't have time to tell you all of it. I just told you bits and pieces. Amen. Sometimes there's a lot more happen, but I don't have time to stay on it for 50 minutes on one vision. Amen. Just talking to you, not bragging. I'm just trying to help you. You've got to get a hold of this because if you don't get a hold of it, then I've kind of failed. And, you know, I'm just talking to you, especially the vision part. And I don't know if I'll talk about any of those tonight, but the Lord said to me when I was 60, I want you to share some of your visions. And I said, all of them? He said, no, the ones I tell you to share. I said, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I said, uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't want to do that. And he said, why? And I said back to him, you don't know? I don't know if you can handle me or not, but I'm handling me. <laughs> Jesus can handle me. I said, don't you know? He said, of course I know, but I want to hear you tell me. Okay. Well, when I was married to my wife of almost 50 years, 48 years, I didn't talk to anybody on the planet about us and our romance. It was just me and you and her, and that was it, Father. And you want me to stand up in front of total strangers. Now, I've been here more than once, so I'm not a total stranger. But I'm kind of strange to you. You know, I'm not a regular person here. Uh, and I said, I'd just rather not do that because people are going to judge me. They're going to critique me. They're going to, some of them are going to be mean about it. Some of them are going to write ugly things about me. And he said, well, it's either that or else. I said, I'd love to do it. Thank you. Because <laughs> I've already argued a few times with him and I've never won. Yeah. <laughs> never won with him. So I said, well, I told you. He said, yeah, and so you're going to do it? I said, well, since you put it that way, I don't want any else. Now, I want to clarify something. At least you misinterpret what I just said. You would think Jesus is a bully talking to me like that, but he's never a bully with me. I don't know about you. I don't think he's a bully with anybody. If he was, we'd all be in trouble. <laughs> but Proverbs 17, 11 says, well, evil man seeks only rebellion and an evil spirit. That's what the real Hebrew says in that verse, Proverbs 17, 11, will be sent against him. So, you know, I'm not running around with other women. I'm not shooting dope. I'm not getting drunk on the side or whatever you might think people could do that's terrible. There's a lot of things terrible. Some of it's just strife, worry, 
worry will get bury you quicker than any strife will knock you out totally. You can open the door for every evil thing. So I, can't, I stay away from that. Of course, just I'm not in strife with people. I'm a quick forgiver. It's not about what they deserve. It's what I'm willing to do because I don't want to get in trouble with God. Yeah. So what God was telling me was, if you don't do it, see, I, he knew I knew that verse. Yeah. So I said, well, he says either that or else. I said, okay, I'm not going to be rebellious towards you. See, I'm, that's what I'm doing. He said, I want you to do this for me. I want you to talk about those things. And I told him how uncomfortable I felt. Does it mean you feel better about it now? No, not a bit. But I've just learned to ignore my emotions and forgive him for asking me to do that. <laughs> You'll catch up with me someday if you try. Catch up with me if you can. And I said, well, I don't see he's trying to see I'm still in rebellion. Even if I didn't cuss, I wasn't running around with somebody. I wasn't doing stupid stuff that people do. Yeah. I'm just being rebellious. And I'm not going to do that, Father. Yeah. And then, so what happens to me? I got an evil spirit coming against me I never had before because I'm in rebellion to what God asked me to do. Yeah. Yeah. And he just let me know, if you don't, there's what else coming. Yeah. He's not trying to beat me up. He's trying to show me yeah. you're going to be in big trouble because you're in rebellion against yeah. me. I just ask you to do me a favor. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, he knew I didn't like it because I said that to him. You know, and he said, why not? And I said, what, you don't know? He knows everything. But anyway, praise the Lord. <laughs> Let's look here first of all at Hebrews chapter 1. You know I love God. I hope you know that. I'm not making fun and trying to be a smart aleck, but sometimes he asks me to do things my flesh doesn't feel like I want to do that. <laughs> it's not anything I pick to do for myself. And then I have to deal with all the people that don't understand what I'm talking about and they don't even know me so they don't know what kind of person I am and they might think, well, he sure brags a lot. I'm not bragging about anything. I, let me tell you what I think about myself. All the preachers I know can preach better than me, all my sons and daughters. I just thought I'd tell you that. I know you don't believe me, but that's how I feel about it. I don't feel like I got any special gift I'm just trying to do what Jesus asked me to do. And some of it isn't always, I say this so people understand, I've been in this a long time. Everything he's asked me to do hadn't been fun. Like, oh, wow, I get to do that. I don't know what you're thinking. Maybe he don't talk to you to do anything you don't like. So I'd be concerned about yourself. Because he's going to put his finger on the area that you need to correct. <laughs> I guarantee it. If you've got enough boldness to get quiet around him, he'll, he'll deal with you. And he's not out to get you. If he's out to get us, we'd all be God. But he's out to help us. I hope I've explained myself enough just talking to you. That's just the way I think. Just the way that I'm made up. And he, he said something to me in December after my wife passed. What are you doing? I'm sitting in my living room watching TV just for a day, for maybe an hour. I'm not watching anything inappropriate either just so you don't read between the lines. He said, what are you doing, Michael? I said, you don't know? What's up with you saying, what am I doing all the time? He said, I thought I told you to travel and you're not traveling. I said, yeah, I know that. And he said, 
Well, I know you just buried your wife a few months ago, but you can't moan over that and gripe about it or complain. I wasn't, but he said, don't get into that. But you need to get up and get moving. I happen to know a lot of several pastors called you and you told them you weren't coming. Yeah. He said, okay, I'm going to give you 30 more minutes to watch whatever you're watching. It's not ugly and nasty. But then I want you to get up and get your phone and call those pastors back. And if you were smart aleck with them, you apologize. And you tell them you'd love to come. If they just wanted you for one service, you'll come. See, he was wanting me to get in the mode of going, traveling. Maybe, you wouldn't, maybe you're just bigger than me. You would have just done that automatically. But when you lose your helpmate that you had for almost 50 years, your best friend, your lover, your confidant, you know, holding her hands at night when we went to bed didn't mean anything about making love, just being with her. Yeah. All right, I'm taking you too far. I don't want to talk like that because you get weird ideas, but. <clears throat> we haven't read, read scripture yet. We went around the world. <laughs> it seemed like to me. All right, so I said, okay, I repent for that. I'm still watching TV. I put it on mute when he was talking, by the way. Just so you know. You know, I've went to visit people in their homes and their TV's blaring. It's on 75. Yeah. Like it's just screaming through the neighborhood. And I say, could I borrow your remote a minute? Mute. <laughs> now can I talk to you for a second? Can you give me time? I know you love that TV. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just being real. I tell you some stories that really make you either laugh or want to throw something at me. I don't know, but... <laughs> I just report it the way I saw it at that moment. But anyway, let's read this in Hebrews 1, uh, 13, verse 13 and 14. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He's giving a comparison in chapter 1 between Jesus being who he is, the Savior, the healer, the deliverer, and the angels. So he's not saying that to the angels. He's given a contrast. Whenever did God say to the angels, sit on my right hand? He didn't say that to them. He said it to Jesus. And furthermore, because he said it to Jesus and we're seated with him, he said it to us. And, he, and let me help you understand, a footstool is for your feet, the lowest part of you. <laughs> You're supposed to prevail over all your enemies because your feet is on them. They're under your feet. One time I took little sticky tabs and I wrote, you're defeated and I'm not, ha ha, and put it on the bottom of my shoe, taped it on there with duct tape, it wasn't going to come off either. I just wore it around for a couple of weeks, I felt like superior to everything. Because <laughs> I know the devil had to look up to read it, because that's where he, I'm seated with Christ, I don't know where you're at. <laughs> he looked up and saw that on my shoe and he got mad. I didn't care, I just kept showing him at everywhere I walked. You got to do that sometime, might renew your mind some. That's his position under our feet. All right. And then he goes back into talking about Jesus and the angels here. In verse 14, are they, referring to the comment, the angels, are they, the angels, not all ministering spirits? So they all have a ministry, or I could say it this way, a job description. Some angels that work with me, one particular one, he only does a breathing problems. You want to know why it's that way? I can't tell you why it's that way. I just know that it is that way. He showed up first time in my life in Costa Rica and I was praying for people that had breathing problems. But up to that time, 
I got up, I think it was 2008. I had a vision 2008, but this was just a prayer time. God said, get out of bed, go sit in the living room and pray, pray in tongues. And I always have a, something that I can write on and a pencil by me when I'm doing that because I know normally he'll speak to me at the end of my prayer time. But I didn't even know what I was praying about. I just went in there and prayed in tongues for about 50 minutes and I got quiet. See, I told you you have to still your mind or you still it, you know, make it simmer down where you could hear him. He said, Michael, I'm giving you a new anointing. I said, really, what's it for? It's for people with lung problems, COPD, asthma, cancer, all the stuff that hinders people in their bronchial area from having good breath and can breathe normal. I'm giving you that. He didn't mention an angel coming to do this with me. He didn't even say anything about it. I said, great. Next time I, he, you quicken that to me, I'll give an invitation to pray for people that can't breathe right. And I started doing that and they started getting healed. Then I went to Costa Rica and there was, there was an elderly lady. She was 80 years old. And then there was this young boy. He was about 10. And somehow I wasn't in a church setting and, you know, it didn't matter really where we were. We were in a building. He's over this, about this far from me. If I'm standing there, I'm over here now like I'm playing him. And this is the way he breathed. I, I think I've done this before, but it, it makes a point. He'd breathe like this. <sighs> Sound like a machine. I'm not making fun. My heart went out to the boy. He's about 10 years old. I'm thinking, he's got something seriously wrong. He can't breathe right. I mean, every time he did that, that let it go, I felt like he's, gonna, he's gonna, not going to get to the next breath. That's what it made me feel like from what I'm hearing. And he's just a 10-year-old 10, 10 boy. So anyway, I said, if you have a problem breathing, I figured he would come, and he did. And the older lady, the lady said, I've been having breathing problems all my life. I'm 80 or 81. I laid hands on her. And that angel showed up that has this laser shoots out of this finger. And when he comes, a lot of times I will be in the spirit. Not all the time, but I'd have to be to see him. He uses his finger. It's got this white light like a, like a laser. And he just goes over their chest back and forth. And it erases all the miscoloration I see inside him. Sometimes it's gray. Sometimes dark gray. One time it was black. I knew that person had a problem. Serious problem with their lungs. And uh, we was in your church. That's right. <laughs> and, you know, then I came back after he took care of him. And he come back and he said, you know, E.T. healed me. And I said, wait a minute, don't be doing your Disney words for this. This is not appropriate. An angel healed you, not E.T. That's Disneyland. That's Steven Spielberg and stuff. You know, I'm just talking to you. I was just trying to correct him from being so nonchalant about it. And I wouldn't call something holy E.T. Just trying to capture our children's minds to make them more familiar with devils. What it's trying to do. So does that lady that wrote all the books. What's the other guy's name, the young guy? Harry Potter, thank you. She's made millions making our kids enjoy darkness. Anyway, okay, I'm talking about angels, aren't I? So I prayed for the lady and she got healed and I prayed to the young man. He stood before me, he's still breathing like that when I laid hands on him and that angel showed up. And I said, the angel's showing up to minister to these two people. And I didn't see the boy, he fell out and we stopped the service. That was the last word of knowledge I had. So I'm going to eat with somebody. I don't know who took me, not the pastor. But he took his family home. He had got 10 kids, and this boy was one of them. He had a big table, you know, 10 people plus mom and dad. And, he, and the wife told me that night, his mother, said, I looked at him. He's standing in the corner like this, Dr. Jacob. 
And he said, what are you doing, Jose? He said, Mama, I'm breathing. There's no hardness to it. There's no, like, it all stopped. He's just breathing like you and I would breathe right now. And she said he was born that way. Something happened to his chest was deformed, the bone structure, and it pressed against those lungs so hard, you think he's not going to get his next breath. She said, I've lived with that for 10 years. And he's just normal now. That's <laughs> an angel taking care of that. I mean, you know, I've laid hands on him, but the angel does stuff I can't do. But a lot of them are in my ministry because some of them help me. Not all of them, but some of them in the area of healing. I have other angels do different things. But okay, I'm making sense to you. All of these angels have a ministry that says, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister? So I'm getting the feeling these angels want to minister with us and for us. And I think I have that sheet of paper with me somewhere here. And I'd unfortunately lost it. And somebody, I don't know who gave me this now. I think it was Pastor Parker recently. And uh, this is a, this is a uh, prophecy from Brother Kenneth E. Hagin, 1988 camp meeting in Tulsa. He got up and he began to talk about, he's had three angels appear to him. And uh, we just read this part here. He says, there will arise an army, there will arise an army. And these are the beginnings of those things, the beginning of the last days that will walk in the Spirit, men and women equipped with the power of the Holy Ghost. They'll learn to walk in the Spirit. They'll learn to join forces with the forces of heaven. And that's what I'm telling you about. I've learned to join forces with them over a long period of time. It didn't come immediately. I've been teaching this for 43 years. Not everything. I mean, I've learned progressively too. You understand what I mean. But at my level, I learned, then I would add things to it. They'll learn to walk in the Spirit. They'll learn to join forces with the forces of heaven. And the angels will come and minister unto them. And the angels will come and minister with them. To so have angels minister with me in the healing ministry particularly. Yeah. All right, I'm just trying to help here. And so that's, that's what I wanted to say. And now, you, you knew I was a drug addict at one time, but I didn't know this until after I... Uh, gave up shooting dope and stuff. I got saved in December 1971. This is May 72. I was working at a cement plant as a labor, <laughs> laborer. And I'd just take a, a, a wheelbarrow around and shovel stuff in it and take it to the dump outside the building and throw it open, you know, empty the thing, go back and do another load and do that. Do that all day for eight hours. This is hard work. So I pulled something down here in my body and had some real problems. I went to the hospital and they kept me for 30 days. And finally, these, they're going to do surgery on me, cut me open and fix it. And the three surgeons came in and said, what did you take for your hepatitis C? And I said, are you telling me I have it now or I had it? We're telling you you had it. Your liver enzyme showed that up and so did your blood work that you'd had hepatitis C. Do you know anything about it? I said, I didn't know I had it. I've been it. He said, he said, you ever shot any drugs? I said, I was full-blown drug addict until last December. Five months ago, I was a drug addict. And I was that way for three years. And I didn't know I even had it, but I certainly did use other people's needles that were unclean, just like me. And so I had it. Huh? He said, yeah, we thought maybe you took some kind of chemotherapy or something like that to stop it. Because if it goes its full course, hepatitis C, it'll destroy your liver. Yeah. And you can't live without a liver. You could, you could have, you, I know one person that lived without a, another organ because God just gave him a new miracle every day for a long time. Yeah. 
I heard him talk about it on TBN one time. But anyway, I said, so you say it stopped abruptly? Yeah, what did you do? I said, I got born again in December last year. They said, we don't know nothing about born again. We're talking about your body. I said, I'm talking about my body too. I knew I was a drug addict, but then all of a sudden I stopped all that nonsense. I mean, pretty much. I didn't tell them I was still smoking some dope, but anyway, you understand what I'm saying. I'd lost 80 pounds shooting speed, methadrine. It put me into orbit. Somebody said, I bet you gave up drugs for Jesus. I gave up drugs because they were killing me. That's why I gave them up. I'm not trying to do Jesus a favor. I like drugs. That's why I became an addict. But also I, my mind got converted to becoming a drug addict instead of a human being. And so it warped me. Even after I got saved, I, I couldn't think right. My brain was scrambled. Anyway, I won't go down that trail with you. But anyway, <laughs> so... So anyway, they said the angels will work with you and work with minister to you and for you. Well, let's see, that was 1972. I had the surgery and I finally recovered a year later because they cut me wide open down through there. It was a massive surgery for me, it was, because they cut me all the muscles there. And so <laughs> 2002, I went to an internist just to get checked up and he calls me on the phone at home. He never did that before. He said, Michael, your blood's a mess. I don't know what you've done to yourself. I said, what do you mean by that? What, what do you, can you got an idea? I don't even know what it is. I want you to come in and give me blood tomorrow. I said, I, I like you, doctor, but I'm not coming until Monday or Tuesday. I'm going to Birmingham, Alabama to see my preacher that's over me, which was Dr. Ed Dufresne. And I had his phone number, but I didn't want to inundate him with it. I just, I wasn't being a hero either. I just didn't want to call him. I felt when I'm in that meeting, even if I can't see him, I'll write a little note to an usher and say, would you give that to Dr. Dufresne for me? And I signed my name. Doctor, would you please pray for my blood? It's a mess. Yeah. So immediately the devil started working on me. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Hepatitis C will lay dormant in your body for 25 or 30 years, then reinvest itself in you. And then you usually die unless you take something for it to destroy the hepatitis C, which is the most deadliest one of the bunch. That's what I was told. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical guy. So I get in this meeting. I, have, I see doctor up front, but the, the thing was packed. The whole, the whole auditorium was packed. I was about 10 rows back. And Dr. Dufresne got up here, started to go. And he said this sometimes, and I get that way occasionally. He said, I'm trying to find a place to land which means he don't know where he's going to start at yet. And all of a sudden he just walks over this way and he just freezes. He's in a trance like this for maybe 35, 40 seconds. He went, uh, Dr. Jacobs, where are you at? Back here, sir. Stand out in this middle aisle. Yes, sir. The Lord shows me something's wrong with your body. Now he's picking that all up from God. I didn't tell him. He don't know anything about it except what he's getting from God. <laughs> and he said, there's an angel standing behind you. He's going to fix, he's come to fix that. About that time that angel hit me in the head and down I went. I got back up and got my seat and, you know, whenever I came back to myself, I didn't get out of my body, but I was sure down for a minute because that angel hit me with that anointing. And I went back to the doctor the next Tuesday and he took eight vials and he called me by Friday and said, man, I don't know what you're doing. Everything's perfect in your body concerning your blood. Yeah. And my spiritual father picked it all up. I didn't even have to explain it. And he sent an angel to help me, to heal me of that one particular thing in that moment. I appreciate it. Let me read verse 14 again. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So this is 2,000 years 
since that time. And so I like to read it this way. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to us and for us who are the heirs of salvation? If he had angels trying to help us get saved, how much more now that we're his sons and daughters? Amen. All right. So we need to put them to work with us and, <laughs> and help them. Let me say something about this verse 14 a minute before I go too much further. The Weymouth translation of verse 14, uh, James Weymouth, I think is his first name, but he's got a New Testament. He's a real good Greek guy. He said that he, he writes it that these angels, he said, are a benefit to us. They are a benefit to us. I don't understand why the church hasn't waken up to that, that you've got supernatural beings assigned to you. And that's what I'm talking to you tonight. I'm not talking about angels that heal people. I mean, in my ministry, I have that. But you have personal angels assigned to you personally. They know you. And they understand you. If you'll start talking to them based on the Word, they'll start operating with you. Maybe you'll have a healing ministry. Maybe not. I can't say because I don't know you. I don't know what God has for your life. I'm just still figuring out what God has for my life. And I'm not near done. <laughs> so whatever level I'm at in that, I'm still reaching for more. But, you know, I thought about this scripture. Just, you can just write this down. I'm not going to go there with you tonight. Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and um, forget not all his benefits. And before you get out of that chapter, he talks about angels in verse 19 and 20, 21. So it's in the same chapter that he makes mention, you know, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So the angels are benefits to us. I mean, even the guy with the fifth grade education, if he goes to work maybe at a plant to do some kind of job like that, and he goes to human resources and somebody interviews him, normally, even if he's not real with it, his mom or dad would say, ask him about their uh, their care for you. They have vision care, they have dental care, they have regular hospitalization or anything else. Ask them how much you make an hour. Ask them if they give you more if you work overtime. Ask them how much you get for lunch, time-wise. I mean, somebody's going to help that boy if he don't know too much, just to ask basic questions. I don't understand humans that we've got all this benefits with the angels that people aren't even trying to figure it out. And I've tried to teach it for 40-some years. I'm still teaching it. I plan on teaching it until I get to heaven and maybe up there too. I don't know. I've asked him if I could have a class. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to need them up there. They'll escort you around, but anyway. So, Weymouth said they're a benefit. And then the, the, the uh, Amplified Bible, which I believe is the closest to the Greek New Testament. I had to take Greek in seminary. It's a very complicated language. I think it has eight tenses. We only have three. So you get an idea what I'm saying by saying that. But I made good grades and I know how to look things up. But every time I started looking things up in the Greek New Testament, I, would, I bought an Amplified Bible and I started checking with it on a lot of scriptures in the New Testament because the New Testament was written in Greek or Aramaic, whatever. And it would, the Amplified Bible would hit it right on the head every time. So I thought, why do I need all this extra study time if I could just go to an Amplified Bible? Now, the Old Testament, I can't tell you because I'm not that skilled in Hebrew. I can look up Hebrew words from other books I have. But the New Testament, the Amplified, there's no other Bible I know that beats it. That's my personal opinion. And he says in verse 14, what the Greek says, the angels are an assistance to us. I don't understand why people wouldn't want some assistance. You know, I like shredders. I've told you that, that story. I might tell you again, just act like enthusiastic that I'm telling you, okay? Don't go, we heard it all before. Don't do that to me. But I do like shredders. And I have a guy named Dale Tillett, and I was going to a foreign country to do a meeting. 
And I said, you got a credit card from the church, don't you? We gave you one. Yeah, go get me a new shredder. I burnt the last two out. <laughs> get me one that's a little more stronger. It doesn't have to be able to do a piano in it, but it needs to be a little beefier, a little more horsepower. I burned that puppy up. You know, and just burned it up. I didn't have fire, but it just ruined it. So give me something with a little more horsepower. Yeah, so this is the point I'm making. I went on my mission trip. Don't remember what country I've been in. I was in, I've been in 23 countries, I think. And I got back and I told him, just put it in my house. You got a key to my house. Take it out of the box in the garage. Leave the box out there. Bring it in, plug it in, and shred something there. Shred something. Make sure it's shredding when I get back. I want it shredding. <laughs> Not when I walk in the room, but I want to know if I put something in it from go, it's going to shred it. And he did all that for me because he's an assistance to me. Or if I come into church, you know, when I was pastoring, I'm not pastor anymore, I very seldom even go up there because I don't have time. <laughs> I'm going on a 10-day trip. I mean, I'm here with you till Wednesday. I drive home Thursday. I got Thursday and Friday. I get on a flight early in the morning on Saturday. I got to get up at 5 in the morning to take an early flight to get to Fresno. And I start a 10-day meeting, three different churches. I'll be gone 10 days for that. Not bragging, I'm just talking. Hallelujah. So, you know, I don't have time to run up to church and check a lot of stuff. I do occasionally and find out something if I need it and whatever. And they got things to do that we've asked them to do. So this, in verse 14, we found out the angels are a benefit for us. We found out the angel, angels are an assistance for us. I send some of my angels ahead of me in every church I go to to prepare the room for me where we can get into signs and wonders and miracles. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm trying to get this taught. I'm struggling a little bit. Harry. Now, hang on with me. <laughs> a minute. I want to read this. These are testimonies, people that got delivered or healed in my ministry. This one is really interesting. I went to New York, Long Island to preach one year. And then the next year he had me come back, him and his wife. And I'm in there the second year now. And there's a young lady, I'd say she's about 30, and she stopped me after I preached, and we, the pastor dismissed. She came directly to me, said, and so I asked her to write it down. She said, my name is Maureen Mueller. I'm 30 years old right now. I've been saved a little over two years. Have had I've had depression most of my life. She's got a baby that's three or four years old, no husband. She said, I've been depressed most of my life and have been on Prozac since 25 years old. So that's four years. That's a very powerful drug. It fools with your brain chemistry. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying, but some drugs just knock you out. But this will just, it will use your brain chemistry. It'll get it out of sorts. And if you just try to go cold turkey, you're going to have a meltdown. You're probably going to end up in emergency room or worse. Yeah. Because you've been doing that all that time to get you out of depression so you can function. And she said to me, uh, you came to my church last year and you laid hands on me. You remember me? I said, honey, I, I travel so much. I don't remember your face, but I'm listening to what you're telling me. You laid hands on me and I got delivered immediately from depression. And I stopped taking my Prozac. I said, I didn't tell you to do that, did I? She said, no, you didn't. But I just went ahead and did it because I felt like I don't need it. And she had no reaction. So I'm, I'm wondering, you know, I'm an ex-drug addict. I'm not familiar with the newer drugs. I wasn't looking for an antidepressant. I just want something to put me in orbit. None of this Tylenol 3 play with it stuff like you think is big time. 
I take stuff on Thursday and it puts me in next Tuesday. I mean, if I'm going to take drugs, I want to take good ones. All right, I'm not taking drugs anymore. I'm okay. Hang on. I'm not endorsing taking dope. But you know, this pharma, big pharma, they make billions on you. Yeah, and, you they and they tried to put me in prison because I sold drugs, you know. I don't get it. I get the comment there, but you, I don't know if you see what I'm saying anyway. A lot of times people have their money on their bank account and not on human beings. And they don't care what it does to you as long as you buy it from them. Like somebody says, we could cure you for $3,000 if you buy the right stuff. But if you don't, we're going to get 30000 off of you the next 20 years because we're going to keep you hooked on our stuff. They don't call it hooked. They call it helping you. Okay. So I get on an airplane one day. I'm in first class. I sit down. The guy comes in. He's a tall, big guy. And he sits down. What do you do for a living? I said, I'm a preacher. What do you do for a living? He says, I'm a pharmacist. I said, really? Where are you at pharmacies? He said, I own three of them in California. And we were flying from Texas to California. And he's sitting by me in first class. I said, I have a question for you. I've been looking for you. And he said, looking for me? I've never met you before. I said, well, wait a minute. Let me tell you. I'm a preacher. And I went to New York and I prayed over this young lady. She's just 29, has a three or four year old daughter, been on Prozac since she was 25. I prayed for her when she was 29. I don't know the dosage. But somebody told me that you can't go cold turkey off that medication, Prozac, no matter what level you have. And he said, well, I can tell you one thing, no matter what level it was, it had saturated her body and fooled with her mind. And she stopped just instantly. Did you tell her to? And no, I didn't tell her to get off any. I don't tell people stupid stuff. I just prayed for her about her depression. He said, let me tell you something, preacher. It takes 12 weeks to back them off a of Prozac period, no matter what their dosage is. Or she would have had a nervous breakdown. Because that would have... She doesn't have that chemical that's given her a different feeling in her whole being because yeah. it's fooled with her brain chemistry. Yeah. So I would say to you as a pharmacist, the miracle is that she went <laughs> off Prozac, cold turkey. Yeah. She said, I think that's bigger than you praying for for depression. I said, well, thank you. So I got two miracles out of that one time. Interesting. Yeah, let me see here. In 2013, a drunk driver hit me when I was driving home, all but one of my ribs on my right side was broken. They were just, they weren't just broken, they were broken in multiple places and displaced. Not all, not all of it, not all of the bone pieces were uh, leading the right way anymore. And the surgeon said, I need a year to heal and I'm a horse trainer and I need to use my body able to push and pull big horses around. And that's what she did for a living. After I got out of the trauma center at the hospital, I came home and I was in excruciating pain. You know, I had a word like that for another lady one time, but I was having a word she's going to tell you in a minute. Anyway, she said, I have, if you break your ribs or crack them, it's very painful because every breath you take, your, your ribs are moving with your breath. And... She said, I was in excruciating pain. I had to have help to get in and out of my bed. And uh, I go to World Harvest Church, Pastor Nancy and Dr. Dufresne. And she said, uh, you were there preaching. And I wasn't supposed to even go to church, but I felt led to go, especially since Dr. Jacobs was going to be there as he was preaching. He stopped and said, there is someone here who has an injury on their right side. And I sense, I sense that your ribs have been broken or hurt. Come up here and let me minister to you. I sense they're not all healing correctly. And she said, that was me. And I got up immediately and came to the front. 
After, after that day, my ribs began to heal at a remarkable pace. It healed completely, and I was, uh, let's see, what does that say? I don't know, after that, and still uh, training and riding horses almost every day. Thank you, Dr. Jacobs, for hearing from the Holy Ghost. I appreciate your ministry. I didn't know any of that about her. I just called it out as I saw it, and she got, she was the one that had been in the wreck. Here's one from a lady in California, too. This was in another place called uh, up by Fresno. That's where I'm going Sunday. I'm a nurse practitioner, and I have struggled with lung problems my entire life. A few years ago, Pastor Jacobs was at a meeting in Merced, which is where the, the Simons live, and they have a church there. I was supposed to be hospitalized uh, as all the emergency lung medications were not working for me. Now, she's a nurse practitioner. She's just not an RN. She's almost a doctor. She'd have to go a little more to be a doctor, but that's pretty high. She can give you medicine and all that. And said they planned to entube me, put a tube in my chest, because I couldn't take a deep breath without being short of breath. So I went to church, no medications. Pastor Jacobs called out specifically for a girl that could not take a deep breath. God wants to heal you. I went up and was prayed for, and he asked me to take a deep breath right then, and I did, and I was okay. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. I, just, I, I think it's exciting to think about this, and all these different people. And I'm not the healer. I tell them, I'm not, I didn't heal you. I just, I'm the FedEx guy. I bring it to you. <laughs> I have anointing to help you get healed, but I'm not the healer. Jesus is the healer. This is from a lady in Texas. On Friday, May the 1st, I had Dr. Jacobs lay hands on me for a tailbone injury, and I was instantly healed. I'd been injured in my tailbone for over 10 years ago, and my tailbone was bent under me, causing a knot to form, oh my goodness, where the bone was bent incorrectly. I've been sitting quite uncomfortably, you can imagine that, on that knot for over 10 years. When I got up and sat down, I instantly knew that the knot in my tailbone area was no longer there. On Saturday night, I sat through the entire service while I'm preaching without any discomfort. I'm so grateful for God's healing power working in my body because now I can add that to my testimony of all the wonderful things that God's done for me. It's just interesting, isn't it? You want to get encouraged? Yeah, get some of these. I'm not selling them or anything, but... <laughs> I'm going to do a new book on healing. And I'm going to put all these together. I think I think I got a couple hundred. I don't know exactly, but and Miss Olivia just typed a bunch of them. I don't know how many you typed. There was quite a few in that thing you gave me. Yeah, a lot. This is a young man. He's really it's really powerful. His name is Benjamin. He goes to a church in Cookville, Tennessee. Not Pastor Luke's church. It is in the same city, but a Pastor McMichael's. And somebody told him I had a healing ministry. I don't even know the boy until after all this happened. But I'm not, it's kind of graphic, but just listen to me. He said, I was a junior in high school, and I had nine cysts on my backside, on his rear end. And it was very embarrassing and painful. The symptoms are bleeding and pus. I know that sounds terrible to say publicly. We decided to go to the hospital and get them removed. This was late 2014. It, he had to get them surgically cut out of his backside. And I just can't imagine that being a junior in high school. He said they would burst open and it would smell terrible and I, my pants were wet. I had to go home and change my clothes. Imagine being in a room with other teenagers. He said, I heard Dr. Jacobs was coming in February and that was all I needed to set my faith. I set my faith in my prayers that when Dr. Jacobs laid his hands on me, that I would be hit. Now, I told you, I don't know the boy. I just laid hands on everybody in the line. He was just one of them. 
but I met him later personally and he told me all this and wrote it down for me. And he said, I had faith that when he laid hands on me, I would be healed. When he prayed for me, I didn't feel anything, but I kept my faith going. The next day I woke up and no symptoms and everything was gone. He had another set that came at since 2014 and he had to go back to the hospital. And the doctor said, the only thing I can do is cut him out. So he didn't get it done right then, but he came to my meeting and God just removed him. <laughs> I was looking for something else I thought I brought with me, but maybe I didn't. But anyway, it's a wonderful testimony. I love it. I love talking about it, you know, because Jesus is the healer. That's what I'm saying to you. Okay, let's, let's, let's see what time it is. I'm going to have to move a little quicker here. Did I get it? <laughs> no, that's not going to work. Let's go to the book of Job, the fourth chapter, please. <laughs> go to Psalms and take a left, and it's behind the book of Psalms there. Job 4, if you look over here with me, I'm going to start down a little trail. I may not give you every scripture for this service, but I'll give you several so that you'll understand we didn't make anything up. Um, and Job chapter 4 and verse 18, you know, Job had some strange friends that's trying to him figure out his problem. And I think I mentioned that last night. His problem was not having faith in God. He was given an given offering for his kids all the time, but he wouldn't get in faith and just make it permanent where God could take care of them. And so he got over in unbelief and chapter 3 says, I'll just read it so you can see I know what I'm saying. The thing which I greatly feared has come upon me and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. And it was fear. He said, I was not in safety, neither had rest. Neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. So here in chapter 4, verse 18, he says, Behold, he put no trust. It's talking about Job. Behold, he put no trust, or we would say faith or confidence, in his servants. But the Amplified Bible says something a little different there. In his heavenly servants. So these are angels. And then he goes on to say, And his angels, plural, he charged with folly. I can tell you what's going to happen if you speak to your angel foolishly. Nothing. They don't do nothing. They either do what you ask them to do if it's in God's word, but they don't, you, can't, you can't release them with foolishness and things you just make up in your head. Yeah. I don't know what's wrong with people the way they think sometimes. You've got to have some kind of scriptural background to talk to them. And uh, you could send, and I say Psalm 91 is my favorite passage. And I just read recently, Brother Hagin said the same thing. Yeah. I just compare myself with him. I think he's a pretty strong guy. Yeah. A great prophet. He's in heaven. But, you know, anyway, he went home in 2003. But he made the same comment, even though it's Old Testament passage, Psalm 91. I'm not going there with you now. I will before we finish tonight. But I'm showing you that Job, he didn't have any faith in these angels as his servants. And I'll teach you maybe tomorrow or the next night. I will just see how the Lord orchestrates this about your authority over angels. If you didn't have authority over them, you couldn't make them do anything. Are you listening to me? And God's not responsible. He's already charged his angels, the Bible says. Psalm 91, yeah, he charges them with the word. He put different programs in them. Let me say it that way. Not all the angels I've, that function with me are all the same. That one only does lung stuff. He never does anything with people's feet, their heart, their joints. He just does breathing problems. That's all he does. And when he's done doing that, he disappears. I don't see him anymore. Because I might be going a different direction in that service talking about something else. And he's not, he don't have an anointing for that. He's a single-minded, single-tasked angel, I call him. But I have two other angels and some others too that work with me in my healing ministry. Yeah. 
And they appeared to me two times. Once they just came with the rest of them. It was eight angels. I don't want to talk about that vision right now. But two of them came to my house about six weeks later and they came in. And I said, well, you're two. And they finished my sentence. Yeah, we're two of the eight. Well, why are you here? I know you didn't come to talk to me unless you got something specific to say from heaven. Is that right? Yeah. Well, go ahead. They said, we're called to work with you in your healing ministry. We will restore and repair people's bodies. And so they didn't say if they had only this. They just said, we will restore and heal people's bodies. So I just let them talk. I said, anything else? They said, no. And they left. They vanished. They just disappeared. They said, we came to talk to you about our part with you in your healing ministry. And they, they do a lot of different things. Not like the one just does lungs. But, you know, praise God for all of them. If they do anything to help me with human beings, I'm appreciative. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you'd love to have a foot doctor. If you got something wrong with your foot, you wouldn't go to a heart specialist, would you? <laughs> no, you go to a foot guy. So you appreciate the, the people that could help you in that area. But I'm showing you about Job here a minute. Now, let's go to the last chapter in the Bible, because I want to prove to you something about angels being servants to us. They're not lording it over us. We are in charge of them that are assigned to us. Are you following me? And you might have to think about this. I've been preaching this since 1980. I think that's 43 years. So, you know, when I looked everything up by hand, I didn't use a computer to do any of it. Not that that's wrong, but I just like a real Bible in my hand. I'm not making fun of you. If you're looking on your phone or you've got an iPad or whatever you're doing, then go ahead and do it, but just make sure you're getting it. Uh, Revelation 22, the chapter 22, of the, book of, the last chapter in the Bible, verse 8 and 9. And I, John, this was John, John the Baptist, John the Apostle, that Jesus, you know, he said he laid his head on Jesus' breast or something like that. He leaned over. He said, this is apostle I love. And I, John, saw these things. He's talking about the book of Revelation primarily now. And heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then said he, the angel, unto me, See thou do it not, for I am your fellow servant. And the Greek says, I'm your servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. So they refused to be worshipped. If you tried to worship them and they took it, that's not an angel, that's a demon. Yeah. And they could look like an angel because the Bible says even the devil can transform himself into an angel of light. So I'm just saying it funny to you. If there's pixie dust or whatever, I'm not impressed with lights and sounds and weirdness. I'm going to ask you, and I've asked several angels when they came to me, why are you here? And if they didn't answer right, I said, get out of here in Jesus' name because you're not an angel. You wouldn't have talked to me like that. Anyway, but I'm showing you the angel said, you don't worship me, you worship God. You don't worship angels. I don't ever worship angels. They're, they're sent to help me and you. <laughs> I haven't got a one-up on anybody. I didn't ask for this assignment. I just started studying it because I felt led to. Maybe God was leading me. I'm sure he was looking back now. But still yet, I learned a lot, and I learned it bit by bit by bit by bit. I didn't learn everything I learned in a year or a decade. It's been over four decades I've been preaching this. Yeah. Okay, and I know other things to teach, but right now I'm not a pastor, so I don't have to teach everything to everybody. Okay. If you're a pastor, you've got everybody to deal with. And people need to know how to think right, talk right, love right, how to raise their children, how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife, just because you're male and female doesn't qualify you for much. 
You're going to have to do it God's way if it's going to be God. That's all I'm going to tell you. But you have to teach people all that. It's so comprehensive. And how to raise their kids in the church. <laughs> you know the whole thing. Okay. So I'm talking to you now about personal angels. Angels that are assigned to you. And I wanted to show you that. Now let me move to a different scripture here. Go back to Genesis 48. I'm going to have to cut this a little short tonight, but we're going to learn enough, give you enough scriptures that we can validate what we're saying. I didn't just make this up one day and thought that'd be cute. I'll just teach that. No, I've looked it up and I looked it up several times over to make sure I was reading what the scripture said correctly. And I began to find out this is the major thing I found out. I read the book of Genesis over and over and over one time. I think there's 50 some chapters or so in it. Yeah, 50 chapters. And I was amazed at the revelation that they had. This was the very first book written in the Bible. How much revelation Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even Noah, and others had of angels. It's just phenomenal. I don't know any New Testament church that's, that stands as tall as they do. And I mean, I preach this all over the world. I'm not putting anybody down. I'm just saying they understood how important it was to keep these angels working for them. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. But this is, this is Israel. The same man was Jacob. He was a cheat. He was a cheapskate. Him and his mother got in cahoots against the dad. For him, the dad to proclaim the firstborn son blessing on him. And he was not the firstborn. He was the secondborn. And he's just, a ring, he's just a ringleader at that point in his life. And not a good one. <laughs> and if there was drugs, he probably sold those. But anyway, I won't go there with <laughs> You know, Manasseh was a king, but he was a drug dealer. He not only dealt with drugs, he dealt with enchantments, the occult, witches and warlocks and all the whole thing. You talk about drug addicts, they're in the Bible. He was whacked. I'm talking about, you know, anyway. So he, he had an experience, Jacob had an experience with an angel in chapter 32 of Genesis. We won't look at that, but you can read it later. And he wrestled with this angel all night and he prevailed, the Bible says. Hosea chapter 12 verse 4 says, and he prevailed over the angel. How could you prevail on an angel if you didn't have any authority? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and he said, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And the angel said, okay, your name's Jacob. You know, I told you what that meant. It's not a good name to have. If I said, I'm Lucifer, you'd go, whoa, I hope that's not your real name. <laughs> no, I'd get somebody else to adopt me or something. But anyway. You see what I'm saying? So, but now by the time we get to this chapter, the angel in 32 chapter said, we'll call you Israel, which means a prince with God. So he's called Israel here. So chapter 48 of Genesis, verse 14. And Israel, who once was Jacob, stretched out his right hand, laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hand skillfully, it should say, for Manasseh was the firstborn. In other words, if you, and I'll tell you why he did that. His son thought he's, my dad's losing his mind. He didn't bless the firstborn, he blessed the secondborn. But Manasseh had gotten in such trouble because of his behavior, he got demoted. You can look it up yourself. I'm not going to tell you about it. Do it yourself. Manasseh just got involved in a lot of weirdness. And so he's not getting the blessing that he should have got. But remember, Jacob's the one that him and his mom got in cahoots to, to deceive the dad. And now he's, he's being sure he's doing things right. And that's why Manasseh was looked over, because he had some issues. 
But it says he blessed Joseph, verse 15, and it said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk. You've heard that phrase, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God's a generational God. You know, I'm now getting my grandkids. They're starting to get raised up. I believe some of them are called to full-time ministry too. Maybe all of them. I don't know yet. But anyway, it said, the God which fed me all my life long. So he's had a long life. I think it was 100. I wrote it in here somewhere. I think it was 147 years. That's a long life. And said, I, 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 the, the angel, notice this, verse 16, which redeemed me or delivered me from all evil. And one of the things that are evil is sickness and disease. Yeah, so here this angel redeemed him. This is Jacob or Israel, same person. Bless the lads and let my name be named on them in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Not get killed at the senior prom and run into a tree and kill your girlfriend and you in a car accident. I like to say it like that because that makes it current. I had a girl that her parents weren't right and they just let her work wherever she wanted to work and then she got enamored by a young man and he, he got her pregnant and then he ran into a tree and died and there she's a pregnant girl, not married and got nothing to help her. He ran into a tree. I don't think on purpose, I don't know, he was drunk so... See, that's a, you, this is something serious we need to pray about for our children. Yeah. And sometimes you just need to be sensitive. You don't need, it's good to be spiritual if you could get there. If we all could get there and stay there, that'd be great. Sometimes I, my son came in one time and said, I was over at so-and-so's house, and they were showing us their guns. I said, their guns? And the Lord said, tell him, don't go back there. I said, son, don't go back to that house at all until I tell you you can. So the guy that lived in the house, I knew him. He was in my church. It's a long story. But he brought a friend to this church. It was a drug addict. I gave an invitation. He was in the service. He gave his life to God. And I said, sir, before you walk away from me, give me your phone number, please. I'm an ex-drug addict. I'll try to help you more. I mean, you just gave your life to Jesus, but I'll help you figure out some things. Well, he never would answer his phone. Two or three weeks later, he was at that house playing Russian roulette. But it, boom, blew his head off in front of everybody that was there. See, my son could have been there, but I said, do not go back in that house. Yeah. Well, why, Dad? I don't know why. Just, don't, just yeah. obey me. Yeah. Just listen to me, son. Don't go back. If you do, the devil's, I mean, the Lord's going to tell, tell me on you. Then you're going to be in hot water with me yeah. if you don't listen. Yeah. yeah. I tried to do my best to raise my kids. Yeah. You know, my daughter was always more compliant. I just look at her funny. She start crying. <laughs> and she's a girl. I'm not saying girls are better than boys. I'm just, listen to me. So I told her, she came home one day and said, I think I like this boy at school. And she told me his name. And I said, I do not like him. I confronted her right then. I said, I do not like him, Jessica. You drop him like a hot potato. And if you don't, God will show me you're trying to run around with him behind my back. And then you're really going to be in some hot water with me. I'm not kidding you. Drop him. He's not right for you. I don't know what all what all they had invited and did. That's none of my business. I just said, stop it right now. Yeah, <laughs> did you say that? Yes, I did. So I'm not afraid of my children. Yeah. Did I tell you about the guy with the 14-year-old daughter in the mental institute? Those are people are losers. And I've had people in my own church tell me, you just see what it's like when you get teen." Hey, you better back away from me a little further because I don't know when I'm going to lose it here. 
Well, I'll show you some stuff. Anyway, okay, get back in love. Here you go. Here's an agape hug. Brother, you people are so needy. There you go. There's an extra one. I'm teasing you if you don't know me yet. I'm teasing. But part of it could be true in some areas. I don't know. So it, I, this was, then I did this to my son. It was a hallmark moment. It was Christmas Eve, and we were sitting on the couch, me and my wife. Doorbell rang. It's snowing outside. I go to the front door. There's a young girl there. She's a visitor to my church the last month or six weeks. She's very attractive looking. She's probably 17, I think, maybe. I don't know if she's that old. She could be. And she told six guys in my church she loved them. And my wife and I, she's a foo-foo girl. You know what a foo-foo girl is? She's not a nice girl. She's going to get your sons in a lot of trouble, believe me. I just know how she's geared. I mean, I don't think there's ever been for years somebody I didn't, couldn't look at and get around a little bit, and I would scan them. I'd say, oh, man, I've got a lot of baggage. She came to the front door and rang the bell and says, can I come in? I said, did somebody invite you to my house? I didn't call you. Did my son call you? No. Anybody call you? Nope. I said, is that your car in my driveway? Yeah, go get in it and drive away. <laughs> Bye-bye. Shut the door. You really did that? I really did that. <laughs> then I went upstairs and talked to Jordan. Did you call Fufu girl? You know the blonde-headed girl, real cute. He said, no, I didn't, Dad. I said, you stay away from her. She's going to get you in trouble. And so my wife found out that she had told six boys in my church all about it. So she got all the family together, either the parents or the grandparents of these six boys and put them in a room. I was with her. And you talk about getting, it, getting this slap upside the face. My wife could do it. And she said, she's just using you boys. What's the matter with you guys? You don't understand that? He's a foo-foo girl which means she might do anything. You're not even sure what she will do, but she's not right, you know. And girls like that come to my church and I get a call from the singles group. This lady's asking these married men to take them home in their car and I put APB out on her. Not this girl, but some other girls. You don't go home with any of my men at all in any kind of vehicle. You go home with a girl. If you're going to go home, ask one of the girls to take you home because I don't trust you. Anyway. We're not perfect, but we try to do our best to make things good for our children. I'm trying to get through this. I'm stumbling a little bit right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So we see here this man, Jacob or Israel, had a personal angel that he said delivered him from all evil. See, sickness and diseases is evil. I didn't say if you're sick, you're evil. I'm saying the disease that got on you came from the evil one because God doesn't have sickness and disease. He don't even have hospitals up there. He don't got quick cares. He got drugs that I know about anything about except his high. He is called the most high for a reason. <laughs> and I've been high on everything but chocolate chip cookies. But anyway, anyway, I'm just teasing you. All right. Now let's go to Psalm 34. I'm just about ready to wind this down a little bit. <laughs> Psalm 34 and verse 7. I said to the Lord, I said one time, I said, there's all kinds of scriptures, but I know that you're smarter than me, so show me what the one scripture I could share with everybody when I teach on angels, how they could qualify for angelic help. And he said, how about Psalm 34, 7? Well, I knew what that said, but I went over and read it. 
And this is what it says, Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. So this, I know it says the angel of the Lord, but listen to me and I can explain it to you. Angels cannot be in two places at the same time. That's, that's impossible. Neither can I. Uh, but now the Holy Ghost can be everywhere. He's omnipresent around the whole globe. Yeah. I mean, you might run to Africa to hide from him, but he's going to find you behind that bush and say, I'm still calling you. Yeah. Get back in America and get in your slot. <laughs> but this, or the, the angel of the Lord is just using that as a term. There is an angel called the angel of the Lord, but that's not him because he can only be in one place at one time. And it says the angel of the Lord encamps around about them. That's more than one, isn't it? So that would mean he's talking about the angels of the Lord, that God has created them. He's their creator. Yeah. God the Father and God the Son, God the, they created the angels. And then God put different programs in them. It says he charged them, Psalm 91, with different things. And they have a program in them, kind of like a computer. I'm not a computer whiz at all. But I know if you get your computer and you have certain software you put in it or whatever that's called. Now, if I'm messing this up, you could just follow me. Use your head a little with me. Because uh, I don't know the right name to call things. But if you put that in and gear it upright, it'll work for you, whatever was put in it. That's the same for the angels. Yeah, they, you just talk to them based on the word. And I, I'll go to Psalm 91 in a minute, but let me talk to you about this. The angel of the Lord encamps around about, or the, the Hebrew says, the angel surrounds you. It's like you put a little dot on a piece of paper and draw a circle around it. The dot's you and the circles is an angel. They know how to protect you from behind, the side, up, and below, and all that stuff like that. The angel of the Lord encampeth or surrounds you. And uh, then it means to encircle or surround. Let me go back here. And then it says, those that fear the Lord. That Hebrew word means to worship, respect, or be devoted to. So he's, he's not saying here, this is not wrong either. But like Tyron, uh, he might get up and he might say, lift your hands. Or he may just do it and you respond to him. That's worship in the corporate sense here, but you're, that's not the only time you're to do that. If that's the only time you ever lift your hands to worship God, I don't know what to tell you to do. <laughs> I mean, you're way behind the eight ball here. We ought to be worshiping God continuously. Now, I'm not a nut. I don't go through the grocery and say, praise God, praise God, praise God. And the people look at that guy's nutty. Call security, aisle four. You know, some people take it really crazy, but... What I mean is you have an attitude of worship towards the Lord all the time. And so that should not just be in church. It should be for our whole life. And then it says, you know, those who revere and are devoted in respect to word and action. So that would mean if I'm really in love with God, I would love his shepherd, his shepherd here. And I would love the sheep, the other sheep here. I wouldn't be judging them all the time and mad at people. Or letting them get, get me in strife because they want to be. I would just be sweet. Amen. How many get it? <laughs> okay, that would help us a lot if we walk in that. Okay. So, and it says they delivereth them. And it, the word there for deliver in the Hebrew means to escape wholly or entirely, to deliver fully or deliberate. And I think the best example, I could talk to you better if I just talk to you. Second Kings 6 Verses 13 through 18, the prophet was over there and he had a minister with him. And, uh, you know, he went out to jog around the city in the morning. He had his Nike tennis shoes on. They're really impressive, you know, or his Air Jordans. Did your teenagers go through that? Mine did. My son. 
He had to have Air Jordans. He wasn't going to be. I'm kind of teasing, kind of not. But anyway, his minister went out and he walked around the city. He ran and he came back and said, boss, they got us surrounded. We're in trouble. All, all around the city lays in a bowl-like type of thing, kind of like Guadalajara is that way. So is Tegucigalpa, which is the capital of Honduras. And it lays in a bowl-like, you know. And he just hauled them out and there was the enemy and all the troops. But then what did the prophet say? Lord, open his eyes. Yeah. And now if you're thinking in the natural, that's what made him intimidated to begin with yeah. what he saw. Yeah. But he wasn't talking about what you see with the natural. He said, open his eyes, Father. I don't even know if the prophet ever saw it. Yeah. But he just knew, open his eyes to show him. And besides the enemy surrounding them, and he went one, two, there's just two of us and there's hundreds of them. But he said, open his eyes. And he saw angels of God and the chariots of fire up around the enemy yeah. that would take them out in a moment if they needed yeah. to. So he went out and he told them he would take them to the man they were looking for. Yeah. That's what the prophet did. He waved his hand. They all went blind. He took the lead horse and said, I'll take you to where he's at. He took him into Jerusalem. He must send a runner ahead because the army was up there waiting on him. They were all with bows and stuff. And he, the, the king, he said, do I kill him? He said, no, I've embarrassed him enough. Just feed them and send them back to their country. And the Bible says they never came back in Israel in his lifetime because one prophet beat a whole army. <laughs> you know, when you get blinded by one guy and he waves his hand the second time, you can see there's some power at this guy. <laughs> and the armies are ready to take you out if you're going to cause any problems. So that's what I mean by deliver fully. You wouldn't think that you'd come out of that alive with all the enemies you see arrayed against you and there's just two of you. But that's what happens when you do. So let's go to Psalm 91 for just a moment. You're doing good with me. I, I don't know where I've been tonight. I just was all over the place. I had a little extra time to pray today. Maybe I got over further. <laughs> Hopefully that was my goal. Get over further. Yeah. Psalm 91. Let's look at this. Let me read verses 1, 2, maybe. Uh, yeah, at least one and two, and then I'll tell you where I want to go next in Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So the way I interpret this is he that dwelleth in the secret place, I would say it this way, whoever's tight with Jesus, he's dwelling there. He's not, he's not just a church goer. It's good to come to church because your leaders like Pastor Mark, Pastor Don, they teach you, and I'm here to help you too as a prophet. You know, it takes all five of us ministry gifts to get people up in maturity. I'm just talking to you a minute. But, you know, you have a local church, but then again, you're not in church every 24-7. So you're staying close with Jesus. You're having a prayer life every day. You're having time to worship God. You have a time after you pray maybe to get quiet. I know most people can't do that anymore. They're too, they're too driven. You know, the duck syndrome. They got money problems, they got sex problems, they got husband problems, wife problems, all kinds of stuff. You can get all that removed if you stay with God long enough. That's all I'm going to tell you. I, I'm not some super nothing. I was never achieved anything for any reason when I was a lost man. And I just achieved a little bit now in this life, and I give it all credit to God. I was just a burnout drug addict when I found him. And I said, I just need help. I need help. I told my mother when I came home from California, Mom, I need a place to sleep. I, I know you got a lot of rules, and I'm willing to say yes to you before you start down your list. 
well, you've got two younger brothers and a sister. I don't want you contaminating them with drugs. I said, I understand that. But I'm a drug addict, and I cannot afford to go live with one of my drug addict friends anymore. I'm going to die if I don't get it straight. And that's why I'm here asking you, I, I need a place to stay. I don't have any money. I don't have a job. All the money I made on my drugs, I snorted it or shot it or we parted it away. And I'm a loser. So, I, But I need a place to stay, Mom. So he said, if you live by my rules, you can stay here, but you're not going to just stay here and not get a job. You're going to get a job and pay rent. And I said, well, that's fine. I'll do it. That I got saved in six weeks after I went home. Because <laughs> I was just done with that party life. I went in the bathroom to shoot up. I was the last of five of us. And all of a sudden I had a vision and the shower curtain disappeared. And I, it was like seeing a movie, but I was... I was not the lead actor, but I was the person in the movie I'm watching, and I began to get very emotional, and the Lord said, Michael, your life's going down the toilet. You need to go home. And I knew he wasn't talking about dying because I'd already died that summer in July in, the, in my farmhouse where I lived, well, all the drug addicts where we lived. There's 13 of us. So I knew I wasn't going to die because I'd already done that. But I knew God speaking to me, and I knew he was talking about going home to my mom and dad's. My mother was more the outspoken one for the family, if you understand what I'm saying. She's a good mother. But she wasn't going to put up anything, with anything from me or my brothers. And I appreciate that. And I said, I'll do whatever you tell me to do, Mom. I guarantee you, I will do it. I just need a place to just chill out for a day or two, and I'm going to go get a job. I'm going to pay rent. I'm going to do everything you ask me to do, and then some. But I can't afford to live with the drug addicts anymore. I came out of that bathroom. I went back in the other room, and they, I bummed them all out. They were all high. You know, they'd hit up with the speed first. I went out there and I said, I'm going home tomorrow. And they said, you're what? You must have got some bad dope. I said, I was shooting dope before I even met you. I know what bad dope feels like when it's cut with rat poison or something. You get violent, sickly. I'm not on bad dope. I had an experience with God in there. I can't even explain it to you guys. I don't understand why you're not concerned. I, we buried five of our friends last year, and your girlfriend, Gary, hung herself. <laughs> I can't live like this anymore. And I started to get very emotional with them. I'm just telling you my side of it. And they said, if you don't shut the blankety blank up, that's the way they live, we're going to shut you up. We're all five of four of us are going to get up and beat the you know what out of you. I said, well, you could do that, I guess, if you want to, but I'm just telling you, I'm going home. I can't live like this. I can't live like a drug addict anymore. I just can't take it. I'm sorry that you guys don't see the significance. I'm tired of burying my friends. <laughs> right, wrong, or indifferent, they were still my friends. <laughs> Some of them got shot to death and a drug deal went sour. Some of them overdosed and we buried them. And I'm just tired of living and burying all my friends. And my, my mind is so messed up anymore. I don't know if you can understand what I'm saying. Well, I'd been that way for three years, and it just progressed worse and worse, doing more dope to get higher than I was last time, and, you know, it was just, there was no end to it. So anyway, I was trying to teach you about dwelling close to God. That's what I was trying to do. I didn't know I was doing that. I went back, and I, so my mom, you know, she said, well, you're going to go to church, too. And I said, okay, I'll go to church. So I started back in church, and then I saw this girl that was a senior in high school. Of course, I was 21. She was probably 18. But my mother went to church with her, her parents, and my mother was in the prayer meeting, always say, pray for Michael, he's going to kill somebody or get killed. And the parents knew all about me. 
So when I went to them and said, I'd like to date your daughter, the husband, he, the father, he said, well, you're not going to date her very far. You're going to go take her to church. You're not going to date like normal people date. And if I find you in my house with my daughter and I'm not here, you're really in trouble. I said, I get it. Okay. So I went to a meeting with her and got saved. The next week I went to take her out to go get a hamburger. And she handed me a Bible and said, get out of my life. I don't want to see you anymore. Don't call me. Don't try to date me. Anything. Bye-bye. I said, thanks for the Bible. And I started reading that Bible. Then when I met my wife that became my wife, which was, uh, you know, a few more months down the road, then we started dating and we got married. Thank you so much for your enthusiasm. <laughs> anyway. So let's look at something right here. I'm going to sh show you where I got this. Let me find it. It's in Psalm 91. Well, let me read verse 2. I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my force. We sang that tonight. Tyrone led us in that. Remember? Or that song, you're my healer, you're my fortress. Yeah, we need to be saying it. He said, I will say of the Lord, not my mom will say or my husband will say or my kids will say or my grandpa, but I will say of the Lord, you're my refuge and my fortress. You're my God and I trust you. We've got to get personal about it. Then verse 11, He shall give His angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They shall bear you up in your hand, their hands and you will not dash your foot against a stone. So here's where I got this saying. You've heard me say this. Uh, the word, um, let me find it, verse 11. Uh, he will give His angels charge to keep thee. That word keep. In the Hebrew, it means to watch, to keep safe, to protect, to preserve. So then I went to the Webster's and looked up preserve. And it says to keep safe from injury, harm, or destruction. You've heard me say that publicly if you've been around me. I thank you, Father, for the angels to keep me safe from any injury, harm, or destruction. That's where I got it. It comes out of this word as you, you begin to look up scriptures and look up definitions. It says to keep you safe from injury, harm, or destruction, to keep you alive, to keep you intact, or free from decay. That's all in that word preserve. That is the word keep in the Hebrew here, but it means to preserve you. So I, I think I've done everything I should do tonight along this line. <laughs> I went all around the world with myself, I think. You have personal angels assigned to you. And again, listen, you can get on my website. It doesn't cost you anything. I don't charge you anything. I got over 200 messages on there that you could listen to immediately if you wanted to, you know, scroll down to the different messages I have. And I got several, I think I have a couple series on angels and a lot more that, you know, I could get into tonight, but we've already went a while. It's nine o'clock. I don't know how that happened so quick to me. Thank you for joining us today. To view Dr. Jacobs' travel itinerary, order products, and more, please visit cotrin.org slash mjm.